Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is powered by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Hey, Reef Builders. Welcome to episode number 71 of the Reef Therapy Podcast. Today, we will uh, do as we do and give an update and vent about anything going on in our personal reefing journeys, discuss some comments, and of course, get to our guest tonight. My name is Remy. You know Raj. Let's get to know Sarah Stevens. Sarah, could you introduce yourself? Hi, um, my name is Sarah. I'm the Director of Animal Collections at Butterfly Pavilion, which is an AZA accredited invertebrate zoo. Uh, so I get to work with all kinds of cool spineless critters and I just get to do a job I love every day of my life. Yeah, uh, we uh, we get to talk at, uh, at Aquashell of Dallas and I just find what you do fascinating. Obviously, you had a good relationship with Jake and there are several videos that you guys have done together. I'll reference a couple of those uh, as we get into the podcast a little bit but uh where's mark tonight mark is like it project guy so he's like i have to hop on a call at seven o'clock at night and i was like what do you what do you what job is this that you do what are you doing real work he has to do real work <laughs> yeah. grown-up stuff real work yeah. <laughs> yeah gotta 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 make that money for another regal uh apparently Ooh. um <laughs> i don't know maybe too soon sorry guys i apologize uh sarah what you drinking tonight uh, just a fat tire. Ooh, fat tire. You got to show it. Got to show it. Doesn't count if you well, don't show it. It's in a koozie. What kind of koozie is that? Did you make that? It's a turtle one. No, it's just gotten a lot of love and care over the years. It looks like it's like it's little, crocheted little, or something. It's uh, it's knitted. It's like a little sweater. Okay. Raj, what do you got? I uh, I had a couple of major fails with some local beers here, so I have pivoted to Vino. Okay. What uh what flavor is that a Pinot Noir? Is that a Malbec? What is that? It is a um cab. blend. It is a cab. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Uh, I actually have a really good beer tonight. This is the King Sioux from uh what's uh Toppling Goliath Brewing Company in Iowa. So they actually partner with the Field Museum in Chicago. So they have uh they have another IPA called Pseudo Sue, which is like their main one. It's won all these awards, and I think some of the money that they that they uh, make off of this goes to the Field Museum. So it's really kind of cool. It's all based on the the Sue, the Tyrannosaurus Rex at the Field Museum. So that's awesome. It's actually really good. It looks like orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> it's thick. So King Sue is like the double. And pseudo Sioux is just like a regular IPA. So, hmm. so it's an unfiltered IPA. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, as you can tell, yeah. it's funny. Cause it says, uh, what does it say on the can? It says something like, uh, you know, there might be remnants or there might be, uh, essentially there might be detritus in your beer. <laughs> oh yeah. Like don't drink the bottom, like half inch or something like that. Yeah. I've seen beers like that before. They're like, yeah, it's it's whole brews too. Like don't drink the bottom. Yeah. So, um, how's everybody? How, how's everybody doing? Where, Raj? Where are you at? What, what's going on here? I'm at the beach. I'm on 30A, okay. which is on the Panhandle of Florida. Yeah. Not so much of a secret anymore, huh? That 30A. <laughs> no, it used to be a lot quieter and uh, cheaper, and um, now it's. Now it's not so quiet, but it's still pretty nice. Uh, but we, we yeah. tend to move around now a little bit as as the beaches get uh, a little overrun. But yeah, it's a nice little break. You know, it's a, it's a quick drive. I think 
well, if I didn't have to make as many stops as I do with kids, um, I think it takes <laughs> us about six hours. When I did this by myself, I'd pull it off in about four and a half, maybe five. So okay. pretty quick. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Sarah, we usually start this um, podcast with a little like vent session, a little therapy session. Do you have any tanks at home? Do you have any critters at home? Uh, or does that all just stay at the butterfly pavilion? I do have some critters. Uh, we actually have tanks, uh, ironically, that are my husband's. Because uh, when you do a- a animal care as a job, coming home to it can be a little bit tough. That being said, uh, in my current role, I've gotten to move away from animal care a little bit at work, and it's reigniting my passion for animal care at home. So I actually recently just got a lizard that I never thought I would get a lizard before so I could build this really cool vivarium and um, playing around with the tanks, things like that. What kind of lizard Usually is small it? stuff. It's an emerald swift. So it's a smaller lizard. Uh, shorter lifespan. I figured I would like have a like a test lizard before I committed to some of like the 30, 40 year lizards or reptiles, yeah. like the the turtles your children inherit, things like that. So what does your husband have? What kind of tanks does he have? Uh, we have freshwater planted tanks. Uh, so mostly nanos. So we have lots of nano fish, small shrimp, things like that. Uh, huge sucker for just a ton of nano fish in a large tank. That's my personal favorite type of exhibit. I love getting to see big schools of tiny things. Uh, probably my favorite animal we have are our pygmy quarries because when they all get schooling together with like 20 or 30 of them, it's fabulous. Nice. Nice. Any uh, issues going on with any of those freshwater tanks right now? Uh, algae. When isn't algae a problem? <laughs> That's, I feel like every. It's your go-to, right? Yeah. No matter how clean, how recently you did water changes, there's still algae. So does somewhere. he take care of the tanks, or do you have to pitch in? Yeah, he okay. does. Now, every once in a blue moon, if he's got a ton going on, or I'm walking by, I might do some scrubbing or uh, do some water changes. But he got really into it during the pandemic. I think a lot of people did, and so he really. It's they're his babies, and I just help provide some some technical support here or there. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's kind of like uh, when you're married to like a psychiatrist or a psychologist or something, you know, <laughs> like some my, casual therapy. My, my spouse is a professional, and she is probably analyzing everything I do right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, that's a choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Raj, any progress on, on your tank? No. I mean, I've been at the beach this whole week, so, you know, I actually have a legit excuse that I haven't done anything to it. Yeah. I love that. It's great. It's great. I did think about I the return that. pump, though. Okay. Yeah. Any And what were your thoughts on that? Well, somebody had recommended uh, one of the MaxSpec return pumps. Um, I hadn't heard of it, yeah. so I was going to check that out, but I haven't gotten around to Googling it yet, so that was the extent of that thought. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, my new tank arrives tomorrow, Woo! which I'm very excited about. What did you go with? Uh, it is the Red Sea 625, which I did receive endless amounts of crap from Raj for not going <laughs> with the bigger one, but uh, didn't want the headache of trying to get it down the stairs. Although we did have a lot of comments of uh, hacks that people have used, like, uh, making a sled to go down the stairs and things like that with with a larger tank. So 
Um, I, it's still big. It's 160 gallons, so it's still a large tank. Um, and it will be still difficult to maneuver, but I don't know, six foot tank getting down that pivot. I just don't know if I could do it. So you could do it. I didn't want to, man, I just, uh, it's, it's too so late. Even if you, and then you do it and it's great. Even if you drop <laughs> yeah. it, it would have been fantastic. <laughs> just a video reaction of it going. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll tell regardless, you this. Spectacular. Right. Yeah. If it, if, if it arrives, if it arrives cracked or anything like that, and we have to send it back or we get a new one, then maybe I'll use that as a test okay. and see if I could, you know, afford seven or eight more inches and uh, maybe get that down the stairs. So, but I'm super excited. Um, it's yeah, it's a Red Sea 625, so it's a five foot tank, 160 gallons. Um, I think it's like 26 uh, high, 26 deep, and then uh, five five feet long. Um, and it'll come with pretty much everything. Red Sea offers lights, uh, the, uh, the roller, skimmer, dosing pumps, everything. I mean, it's it's decked out. So that's awesome. Jake loved that roller. That was his. Yeah, oh, yeah. that was his roller. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know he's still got a couple of the studio. Yep. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm very excited because this is my, this will be the biggest tank I've ever had. Um, I'm a I'm a nano guy, or I have been a nano guy over the years. So uh, my biggest tank uh, was 120, 115, and that was a fish only system. Uh, we've talked about it here on the podcast before. Uh, it was my fish only system that I had in Chicago. Had a really cool dog face pup, puffer that I loved, and uh, of course my Emperor Angel that I loved as well, and had to give those all up, but. Uh, Maybe those are both totally not the most reef safe in the world, but maybe I can get some more fish with some personality. So I'm excited to have a, a larger, you know, playground, if you will. But that's all arriving, hopefully, when I'm at home tomorrow and not just my wife. Because I don't know if they do they drop them at the end of the driveway or do can you like tell them to slide it into the, into the garage? Because that'd be nice. It depends on who you get. A lot of times they just want to drop it at the end of the driveway and drive off but if you get somebody that's yeah. cool they'll bring it in do you have people okay. that are going to show up or no yeah. okay yep good strategy good good <laughs> nailing it already fantastic great job <laughs> awesome planning awesome planning yeah doing I, great doing well great. what i want to do is i want to i want to kind of my my main friend here tyler is of course on vacation in mexico everybody's on vacation right now um but I wanted to rally him and a bunch of guys from the, from the LFS and, you know, get, get some guys over here to, to knock it out. And I'm, it's just not, it's not ready. Like I need to, I still have to move tanks out of the way and stuff. So I got to get that squared away first. So my, uh, my forerunner might be hanging out on the driveway for the next couple weeks. <laughs> Having done many an 11th hour Hail Mary, you can pull it off. Okay. It's stressful, but you can do it. It's fine. <laughs> a couple extra white or gray hairs. Not a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Like I, like I said, uh, I, I think it was after Aquashell at Dallas who talked about how quickly those tanks go up and down. Like the aquarium gallery tank, that huge behemoth. I don't even know what the measurements are on that tank, but that can't be easy to fill up, fill with fish, all the things within like 24 hours. It's crazy. And then move it all again. Yeah. I wanted to kind of do this out of order a little bit because I feel like we have been getting to our topics a little too late in the podcast instead of going straight from this to comments then to the actual thing. Because we, we did have a comment that made me think, and I'll get to that after we talk with Sarah and you know what she's about and all that stuff. But uh, 
Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with it. We'll see if this we'll see if this provides any extra commentary. So uh, if if you like this, let us know. If you don't <laughs> like this, let us know. But uh, Sarah, I wanted to I wanted to dig in because now that Mark's not here tonight, you're kind of filling in and. You're obviously a very interesting person. We got a chance to meet at Aquashella Dallas for the first time. And uh, I found one of the first videos that you and Jake did together. And yeah. I got to say, it was odd for me to start with like, okay, well, what the, what the hell is Jake doing at a butterfly pavilion right now? Absolutely. What could they possibly have to do with coral or reefing or any of that? And then, you know, he obviously showed the... Uh, the rescue corals of the the corals that you guys are doing triage on, and that was the beginning of a three year study, and I believe that was in 2020. The video that I'm referencing. So now we're on the end of that three years. Where is everything right now, as far as like the Florida Reef Track project? Yeah, um, oh, that video. I remember it so fondly. I had no notice Jake was coming to do filming. <laughs> Uh, it was like the day after we got in the coral. I'd been there since like one, two a.m. It was a it was a long, long day beforehand. But it was probably one of my favorite videos. Uh, that project in general is it's interesting. It's so we had a three year commitment with the project. We've since re upped our commitment. Um, we're continuing holding the coral pretty much indefinitely until Florida's ready for them. Uh, the Florida Reef Tract is not necessarily better. Uh, the oceans in general aren't necessarily better, but there is some really cool uh, bright spots within it all. Florida Aquarium has been able to transplant out some baby corals that were spawned with corals from the project, which is really cool. There's been collection of endemic corals, which are corals that survived the disease zone, and they're going to try and breed those coral with coral from um, that were pulled ahead of time, so healthy coral like we have and try and create disease resistant offspring. So we're not just putting healthy coral back into the ocean to combat a disease that they've never met and will probably die from. So still moving forward with it, the chances of the project ending anytime soon, not likely. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And, and just to, if you could give a brief synopsis of what this is for people that aren't aware, yeah. I mean, they're all Caribbean corals, right? Yeah, so the AZA Florida Reef Track Rescue Project is a uh, collaborative project um, within AZA zoos and aquariums. So basically in uh, 2014, a mystery disease popped up just, sort, just uh, north of um, Miami at Port St. Lucie. And that disease was, they thought, consistent with other Caribbean diseases at the time. So at first they didn't really give it much attention more attention than they would have any other disease. But what they soon found out was this disease was really contagious and impacted up to 22 different species of reef building coral, which is pretty unheard of. Most diseases tend to be fairly species specific. So this disease was um, moving at an unprecedented rate. It was spreading really quickly between 2014 and 2019. It hit all the way down into the Keys. That's 360 miles of reef for that tra to traverse. So a really big deal with how rapidly it moved. In 2018, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, NOAA, Florida government kind of acknowledged that they couldn't stop the disease. Their measures weren't working. So they basically decided to try and tr triage as many coral out ahead of the disease zone as possible. The goal was to get 5,000 coral out of the ocean ahead of this disease. 
they got just short of 2000. Wow. That's crazy. But they were able to spread these coral to different institutions and these coral have enough variety of genetics where there's still a lot of hope. And this particular project was really collaborative and really just kind of utilized people in the best ways possible. So we have zoos and aquariums caring for the coral. We've got universities working on trying to identify the disease and pharmaceuticals. And even I think at some point they had like US military, like Navy swimming out and on some of their drills doing checks on coral and things like that. So it was wonderfully collaborative and I think is an, a, a method they're gonna use in the future, just following this kind of project protocol. Um, because it was so successful in so many different ways. Even though they didn't stop the disease, they still were able to save the coral. Gotcha. I guess, not to play devil's advocate, but yeah. is this is this our own fault? Like, is this because of humans? Do we know that, that that's where this came from and that's why we should stop this? Or is the disease just something that was would be naturally occurring anyway and might wipe out a bunch of things if we didn't intervene? But maybe that's just nature. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely examples of nature wiping out a bunch of people, uh, exhibit bubonic plague, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that being said, I think that we can acknowledge that the human impact on our oceans is fairly well studied, that there is an impact. And usually the impact is in increasing stressors. So it can be runoff and eutrophication, it can be raising pH in the ocean, things like that, temperatures rising. All of these things are, are stressors, right? And when we're stressed out, our body's immune system starts to degrade. It's the same for these animals. So even if this disease had existed without all of those stressors, there's a chance it would have killed some coral. We're just trying to save this kind of national treasure the Florida reef track is a national treasure. Like it's our big coral reef here in the continental United States. We don't have the great barrier reef right off our coast. This is our reef to save. So I think it's important, even if we can't exactly pinpoint that this is a man-made issue, I think there's enough kind of issues synergizing together um, that are, that we can acknowledge that helping is not the worst thing in the world. And yeah. we can try and protect this resource for, you know, our kids and their kids and let them be able to see these incredible coral and they're cool coral. Like they're not brown blobs. These are cool coral and deserve just as much of a chance as any other reef. Yeah. I know that, uh, is it, is it worldwide corals old farm that the yeah. former reef track kind of took over? Um, I know I've seen some video. I would love to go there and tour it, but those, some of those colonies are just like something you just, you don't see Huge. in the hobby. Well, a lot of them, you know, you can't have in the hobby, but, uh, just gigantic colonies of corals in these vats. It's just, it's, it's fun to see. Yeah. The goal was to try and pull sexually mature coral out of the ocean with the idea that they would try for sexual reproduction. So usually when you think of, coral propagation with Indo-Pacific coral in the hobby, a lot of that's going to be fragging. So it's asexual reproduction. Those are clones. What we're looking at with this project is we really want to be creating like unique individual coral because the more unique the coral are, the higher chance they'll be able to have mutations that make them survive these diseases. Uh, diversity is really good in an ocean. You don't want to have all the same thing because one disease wipes everybody out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
the big, big coral and just the diversity of the coral is wild. And they weren't kept in zoos and aquariums really either. So when we got the green light for this project, there was a ton of work that had to be done to figure out all of the unique needs because these coral are, they truly are unique from Indo-Pacific coral in their needs, their finickiness, their nuance, all that stuff had to pretty much be relearned because nobody's really had them since the 70s. What was most impressive for me seeing all of the facilities that have these corals and are part of the uh, Reef Trek uh, project was the biosecurity measures that have been taken, right? So, I, and I don't think people really, well, I know people don't really think of that and they don't know about it. So can you tell us more about that? Like what exactly everybody is doing to protect not only these corals, but protect the corals that you have in your facilities? Yeah, biosecurity was a huge issue. Originally, when we signed on for the project, they didn't know what was causing the disease. So that made biosecurity even more of an issue. That being said, we still really don't know what's going on with this disease. Even years later, trying to do histopathology on a coral is a nightmare. Um, But from a biosecurity standpoint, we had to make sure because there was originally a chance our coral that we received for this project would go back into the ocean. So they could never come in contact with Indo-Pacific coral because there was always the chance that a disease that the Indo-Pacific coral were immune to and just carrying could become the new disease to go into the reef track. That meant that we have all completely different utensils. You can't work the tank if you've been working Indo-Pacific tanks without a shower, basically. Uh, My arms got dried out like nobody's business because I had to spray 90% isopropyl alcohol on my arms every time before I I put them in the tank. Uh, Even getting the tank set up, you were talking about how much of a pain it is to fill up a tank and then have to empty it. We had to do bleach baths. We had to do um, perioxyacetic acid baths on the system before we could even put the coral in it. And so it was just days of filling and draining and filling and draining. And our corals are out on exhibit because we actually had no capacity to have a biosecure system in our behind the scenes spaces. So we decided to put it out on exhibit for our guests to see as a self-contained unit, which had its own stressors, (laughs) dealing with the brand new coral that are coming from a disease zone that are all beat up right in front of guests. It's like all of the things you never want to put out in the open, but it was important enough for us to do this project that we, we felt the risk was worth it and the stress dreams were worth it. (laughs) I think, uh, shed has something like that where you can kind of get a behind the scenes look of what they're doing with like the lab coral, you know, not the, the sexy display coral and stuff like that. But (laughs) I I like that. And I, I would imagine that most people are to some degree who aren't, you know, science nerds and, and love this stuff like we do. But, uh, you know, to some degree, it's like, oh, okay, there's something more going on here than just whatever I'm seeing in a display tank, you know, uh, that that the the biosecurity is is crazy, because yeah, every single one of those tanks, I'd imagine they're still using the same equipment that worldwide had, right, they just left it all there. So you'd have to sterilize all of that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I didn't even think about that. That's crazy. And there's so every single piece of coralline, vermited snails, anything that it was remotely organic had to be fully removed before you even started the bleach dips. So that took, th- things like that would take hours of scraping. And, and it's just, it's one of those things where it was so easy, even as somebody very aware of the biocontrols and very aware of all of 
the things I had to be doing every day to almost put my hand in an Indo-Pacific tank. Like, so it just, you have to completely change your mindset that every morning I would come in and I'd have somebody else working the tanks in the morning. Like I was just focused on this one system because I could not risk cross-contamination. Yeah. And then if some of these institutions have locked rooms, like it is totally separated from everything else and they're, it's, it's like this biohazard, you know, lab that has these corals. And it's super cool to see that level of biosecurity and care taken when dealing with these. It's, I was super, super impressed. And I was not expecting that at all. And I even know, you know, like I know the details about the program. It's a part of that, but I still didn't expect it. And I was still shocked to see how seriously everybody really took it. It was, it was really cool. It's just one ocean, right? So <laughs> it is until yeah. it comes to diseases. <laughs> for now, for now, yeah. for now. Uh, I wanted to. Uh, I I had asked you a little bit earlier, Sarah, about what you talked about at Aquashella, because as you were kind of running some details in or putting some details into your PowerPoint, I glanced over your shoulder a couple times, and I was like, oh, "That's super interesting," because you know now you have these corals in your care. What now, like? You got to heal them up. You got to make them fat and happy. How do you do that? A lot of TLC. Uh, one, one of my favorite things about the videos that we did with Jake were how drastically the coral changed and just like, I think it was two months in between the first video and the second video. So when they came in, they were brown and, and skinny. So the, the tissue is really clinging to the skeleton um, there was abrasions and, and all kinds of damage. Just when you're shipping large colonies, like the ones we received, it's really, you really, it's hard to avoid um, full damage. Um, and so I had a weird, fortunate thing, which was really unfortunate in some ways, was that we got our coral February 2020 and our doors <sighs> closed to the public March 13th, 2020. So I had three months where we were fully closed as a facility and I could work on those coral for, I probably spent six hours a day just focused on those corals specifically. I would go in with dental tools and I'd clean and scrape away uh, bits of algae, pests, things like that. I was looking at every coral every single day, all sides of it, really just getting in there um, and feeding them like two or two or three times a day even and just tons of water changes, just trying to trying to perk them up, moving them around constantly to get the right spots. It was just this weird, it, it was all consuming. It, there, there was no way I was not going to make sure these corals bounced back. Like I couldn't not put what, all that. What kind of food it. are you using there? We do, we call it a reef blend. Uh, so it's kind of a mix of uh, like powdered foods. Like we use reef roids. Um, I'll use oyster feast uh, by reef nutrition, uh, dosing um, amino acids like acro power, amino acids like acro power, um, phytoplankton's. Uh, and then usually I prefer calanus to mysis personally for coral, um, especially smaller coral. Something kind of weird we found with some of the coral was that even the mysis was the skeleton of the mysis, like the little, the chitin, 
could have potentially been causing some damage to the mouse. So I switched to uh, Calanus to be safe. Also, Calanus has this really cool side effect of inciting feeding responses in coral that are just terrible at getting feeding responses from, um, like sun coral, things like that. Start Try Calanus. It works like a dream. Uh, I even did pellets at one point. I had this one coral, this Eusmilia, which is now my baby, because um, it came in looking terrible. And I just babied the heck out of it. And now it's quadrupled in size. And um, I just had to leave pellets on its mouth at one point. And that worked great. Like it finally started opening up after almost a month of seeing zero tentacles, zero mm. feeding response. That was how I got it to open up. And once I got it opened up, then I could start feeding it. Gotcha. So kind of just a, a buffet of different things. Just a buffet. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's great when you're not 100% sure what an animal's going to prefer. Feed a hodgepodge and then really observe and then scale back as you figure out what's being consumed, what isn't, and go from there. Very good. Uh, mm-hmm. While we were talking at Aquashella Dallas, I remember you telling some stories because while you do have corals there, you also have a lot of scary <laughs> ass bugs. <laughs> you were telling us a story about a breach. Uh, can you can you tell that story with us right now, or is that? Is I'm that trying to remember what's what I, story you had it. You, I believe it was an intern that you were telling us about that had reported that one of the. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell that story. Okay. So we work with a lot of really, <laughs> really crazy animals. Uh, one of the animals that when I first started at Butterfly Pavilion, I, my background's marine biology. I knew nothing about bugs. Uh, I was actually terrified of spiders. And my desk was in a room with like 200 tarantulas. But the more I've come to, to uh, work there and learn and love them, um, I've grown a huge respect and appreciation for tarantulas. I have my own. But the one animal that has... I have just had a fear instilled in me is centipedes. Uh, big centipedes. They're creepy. Uh, they are. It's not even creepiness. I could take a creepy animal. I've got tons of creepy animals. <laughs> it is that they are. We call them rage noodles because they're. <laughs> they're. They're just like filled with this incarnate rage. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and it's something you can only get if you've interacted with a large centipede. Like the little ones in your garden, they're they're fine. They're easy. Yeah. These guys are like this big and they're highly venomous. It's not going to kill you, but it's not a fun time. And they're fast. They're lightning fast. They're smart. Like you don't think of a bug as smart, but they can find any, any hole, any crevice, anything they can get out. And they can chew through plastic. So these are like not a fun critter to escape (laughs) and they're your most likely critter to try to escape yeah so i was doing we were preparing for every october we do this really cool spider takeover of our facility and we were preparing the exhibits and i just get a call on our radio which is our code for an escaped animal in our rearing room that's our that's where we house all of our critters and it was perfectly per protocol and i was like oh that's that's weird because it was after hours nothing should be open and i our intern who reported it and I ran in and he's just standing there watching this little centipede strolling along the floor just keeping an eye on it and it was fine I mean he didn't bite or anything when I tried to catch him but I was oh my gosh it's like the one animal I never want to see and to 
to this day, like I looked all over its enclosure. I checked for any gaps, any like weird, like it just didn't get closed properly or anything like that. I still have no idea how that little guy got out. Like they're, they teleport I or phase through. I don't know. But uh, it was, yeah, that's, that's my one least favorite, but that's why you have to wear closed toed shoes in our rearing space. Yeah, centipedes. It's a good point. Rage noodles. Rage noodles. Yeah, I remember when uh, the St. Louis Aquarium first opened. They were giving tours to media, and I, it was a construction zone, and I had like I was wearing sandals and shorts and everything, and they're like, "You, you really can't uh, come in here. We're just not going to allow it." And I was like, "Awesome, just you know, spend the entire afternoon taking off, you know, whatever." But what was nice about it is because I was an idiot and I didn't follow protocol they gave me a private tour like two weeks later i was like okay maybe i should be more wow, they rewarded nice. you. Yeah, they rewarded my bad behavior <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah do you have any other do you have any other fun stories i just feel like dealing with the public there's always there's always stuff you had something right? escape while the public is there and like get out into the crowd or anything like that I mean, so we have a huge butterfly conservatory, which yep. is 7,000 square feet. We have double doors for containment, things like that. But we have 1,600 to 2,000 butterflies in there. So our, our most likely thing to escape is a butterfly. Yeah, but they're butterflies. But the funny part... We need something cool. But the, cool. Funny, part about, the <laughs> funny part about a butterfly is the code gets called and just like... Oof, a door opens and just all of these people run out with nets. So it's like 20 staff members with nets just running after this butterfly. So I feel like from a guest standpoint, that's actually highly entertaining. <laughs> what think it, just well, any door. What's the code? Possibly be. Please tell me the code is something entertaining. <laughs> no, it's like 10-7. Oh, so <laughs> disappointing. Right? Yeah. I know. Sorry. No, we do a bunch of, uh, we have a really cool community science project where basically random members of the public can actually get trained to do monitoring of butterflies in like the front range. We're trying to expand it to all of Colorado. Uh, but there's a lot of around the nation. If you like butterflies and you like walking outside and you want to participate in science with very little effort, butterfly monitoring, way to go. Nice. Nice. Uh, I'm trying to think of a, I had another question. I think it was about spawning though to go back to the corals do do uh do like the florida reef track corals indo and great barrier reef i know that there are different times of year when they do spawn but when the florida reef track corals spawn is that all one event no so the different species will spawn at different months so you'll get a couple that like a cluster usually it tends to be in the fall um, so like September, October, November, those are really good times for spawning. Um, there's some that spawn at different times of the year. They spawn kind of throughout the year and like usually like spring and fall. Uh, but they'll try to separate themselves because they don't want to be spawning at the same time. Hmm. And it's crazy how they synchronize. Hmm. Coral spawning is wild. They like a coral who has no eyes and no brain tracks the moon and the light and is able to time it so that them and any other coral in the ocean in that area of the same species all spawn at the same time within like 
like minutes of each other. They're just like boom, 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 boom. Like I've seen less coordination in a group of college kids <laughs> than these coral that have no brain, no eyes. And um, I don't know. I've spawning computer. I've seen some pretty impressive coordination when it comes to college students and not really reproduction, but the. Never mind. <laughs> hey, I picked a port. Oh, but let's port get back. Thing. Let's get back to coral spawning. You know, okay. <laughs> but the thing I was going to say around that was, you have these animals that are so keyed into these cues, these environmental cues, that that's why spawning can be really tricky, because if you mess up any of these cues at any point throughout the year that can lead to your coral not spawning. So it's yeah. a whole year of effort and then fingers crossed that you're not like, oh crap, the <laughs> one time somebody came in and turned on the lights and they shouldn't have turned on the lights and that that screwed up our entire spawn for a year it is stressful. Yeah. But it's really cool. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of reading in like the Jamie Craig's articles and uh, Rich Ross, after we talked to him, I was really kind of uh, moved to actually try this and actually try it at home and get a system designated for it. Jamie had commented on one of our reef therapy videos. He said that he's just like teaching his kids in the kitchen about spawning. Like he's got corals spawning in the kitchen. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like he's probably one of the more, obviously he's the most advanced when it comes to doing this in a, on a hobbyist level, but I feel like moving this down the line a little bit and just showing that it can be done uh, at the hobbyist level. I mean, Raj is probably sick of me talking about this because I feel like I bring it up in every <laughs> single episode, but it, it's, I want to do it like as something that I, I truly want to, and with, you know, multiple species. Uh, I think it was uh, Parker's Reef, another YouTube channel. They just did a video with Monsoon in Australia where they, they have a whole scully. Like they have like 200 scullies and they're trying to get those to all spawn. I think is awesome like it's that kind of advancement that the hobby can provide why not get us all on board and let's let's do this you know no and i love that and honestly like most of the equipment that these facilities are using is hobbyist equipment it's the equipment that hobbyists have pushed and pushed and pushed for that allow these aquariums and institutions to achieve these results. So it is not out, outside of the grasp of hobbyists at all. I highly recommend anybody who's interested in it to give it a go. It's really cool. And it's one of those seeing a coral spawn in real life is like one of those like once in a lifetime things to see. And if you could do that in like your living room, <laughs> that, uh, 10 out of 10, it's the yeah. coolest thing in the world. That's something that, we thought was outside of our grasp for decades. And the fact that it is so accessible and easy, I'm a big proponent that everybody should feel like they have a seat at the table of science. Like science isn't this big institution that's up on a hill. Like we're all doing science every day. That's what keeping an aquarium is. That is you doing science, you're doing chemistry, you're doing biology, you're doing engineering and plumbing. Like all of these things are science in their own ways. And I highly, highly advocate for hobbyists to be pushing the envelope of what they're doing and track it. Like that's the biggest difference usually is science tracks it. So we have records of it. But if you're tracking that, like you don't have to work at a big institution to publish white papers or publish articles or share your knowledge or information, especially in this day and age. So 
I'm all for everybody in their house just being like spawning <laughs> random coral. Like that's <laughs> that's like community science at its best. It's the most self-sustaining hobby at that point, right? If you can get everybody oh, doing that, and we don't have to you know, take in from the ocean and all that. It's just kind of staying within, and and it's and, not fragging. It's the sexual reproduction. That's awesome. Yeah. You increase the chance of getting something nobody in the world has. So yeah. for those people who are, want to be like collectors, the moment you spawn your own coral and you settle them out and you grow them up, you have a coral nobody in the world has. Don't tell them that. They will start naming <laughs> things now. You can name it whatever you want. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> you got some mad scientists right now like, ah, man, if I could just name my own coral legit, you know. New release. Yeah. New release. It's coming out. New, new release. Yeah. New release. New strength. It's super hot. Uh, do you have anything else you want to touch on? Um, as far as, because I know you guys are expanding. Uh, that's that's a longer project for you guys, but we talked about that last time as well. Yeah. So we're um, currently in a capital campaign. Uh, so if there's anybody who has deep pockets and really loves invertebrates, uh, feel free to let me know. Um, but we're currently in a capital campaign. Our facility opened in 1995. We're in a 32,000 square foot building that we have rapidly outgrown, especially with all the research and conservation projects that we do. And so our new facility will be breaking ground on hopefully in 2025 with opening to the public in 2027. And the goal will be to uh, increase our footprint to about 80,000 something square feet with a huge ocean biome. We're talking about having a coral lab in that biome to help with restoration and reproduction efforts. Uh, for And just like, it'll just be an ode to invertebrates. They're 97% of all animal species and we'll finally be able to kind of give them the wonderful focus and attention that they deserve. How much do you need? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think currently we're the goal is 55 million and we're 24.5 million ish there. So we're almost 50%. So you there. need 30. Um, Remy's got that in his sofa yeah. cushions. He was just telling me the other day. Gosh. Perfect. Yeah. I hate you. Yeah. I hate so much. I'll I'm put you in touch so with our general relationship. <laughs> Have them reach out to Remy for a donation. Jeez. <laughs> I'll name it the Bahama Lama butterfly pavilion. Yeah. No, no offense, but if I had 30 million dollars, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you guys. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably be what sending you Lamborghini jerk. pictures is, and stuff, Raj. That is dirty. You know, I'm, I'm offended. Do you, do you feel slighted, Sarah? I, wow. Absolutely. Wow. And you call most, yourself most passionate. Most offended I've ever been. And I'm friends with Raj. He's always offensive. Yeah. <laughs> so 30, 30, $30 million to go. That's, that's actually not that much. See? You get no, 31, 31 millionaires, right? It'd be exactly. good. And we've I'll got a couple there. years to go for sure. Yeah. Do you have any favorite saltwater invertebrates? Oh, that's a good question. Do you guys have that I... camel, that uh, shrimp exhibit still? Oh, the camel shrimp? Yeah. Yeah. We still the camel shrimp. Yeah. I, I will say probably my favorite animal we don't have, which I've always just had a weird, like a secret little love for, are nautilus. Um, oh, yeah. I think. Yeah, they're they're just like a really cool, incredible animal, and um, yeah, I just they're like the dumbest of the cephalopods. <laughs> they're just they're not that smart. They're like the, they're like pandas. the dumb cousin in the corner. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're clumsy like pandas. Yeah. They need a lot of conservation help. I think they breed more than pandas, though, but not in captivity. No. I, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like Greg, the pandas of the ocean. Greg does a lot of work with them up there in Des Moines at Central yes. Campus. Yeah. yeah, we should we should actually talk to him about that stuff. It's fascinating. The, the Nautilus research is incredible. I think he helped discover two new species of Nautilus just like within the last year or so. It's so interesting and it's, yeah, the the work with Nautilus and how imperiled they are. Like, I think a lot of people don't realize how how in, threatened Nautilus are because their shells are so highly valued right. and coveted. It's not even the living animal, it's the shell. Huh. And that's another thing when it comes to invertebrates that a lot of people don't realize is like how much illegal trade there is in invertebrates. It is a wild rabbit hole if you want to run down it. Invertebrates? Yeah, illegal invertebrate poaching. We have a set of pinned butterflies. They're um, Queen Alexandria butterflies that were confiscated by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And they're not in good condition, so nobody comes steal them. But uh, a good conditioned pair could go for like 10 grand on the black market. Not alive. Not alive. Dead. Nobody wants to lie. I'm looking. That's just insane. They're beautiful. I really, really hate poaching and poachers and that whole entire market. Yeah. And it's tricky. So when it comes to poaching, a lot of times, if you give people the opportunity to do better, they will do better. Especially in in areas where you have a lot of these animals that are poached or endangered or threatened. Usually there are socioeconomic conditions that encourage yeah yeah so there's ways that yeah right if you if it's cheaper for them to just cut the fin off than it is to bring the whole shark back like if there's no incentivization to do the right thing people historically don't do the right yeah but but you know it's not the it's not the uneducated or um, people without money that are driving it, right? It, it's the wealthy that and it's the true. educated that are demanding that they want these $10,000 butterflies. They want this yeah. tiger skin and the shark fin soup, uh, rhino horn, all kinds of random nonsense. It's And they're never the ones who pay for it. It is usually the people who are desperate and doing yep. these things out of desperation that are the biggest cause like they're the ones who casualties sure. of, of the poaching industry outside of obviously the animals. Yeah. Um, I've got a crazy story about an invertebrate poaching situation that it's crazy because it's ridiculous. So we tried to work um, God, back in probably like 2017, 2018, there was this tree snail in uh, Maui in Hawaii. So a lot of people don't realize that um, Hawaii used to have a ton of endemic. So native tree snails that have since been wiped out due to invasive species mm. And there were six of these little snails left, six in the world. Wow. And they all lived on one tree. Jeez. And they had like little, they had like a little like electric fences around this tree because the main predator of this snail was another snail. <laughs> it was the rosy wolf snail. It was the new cones tree snail. And we were in talks with them of trying to help them. They had this huge um, reserve and they wanted to see if they could find more of these snails that they just knew of this one population, but they thought they maybe there were more. So we were in talks with them about this, but they, they brought up at one point that there was this one guy 
on the island who was trying to find these snails in this like 8,000 hectare reserve to poach them because he just wanted the snails. But it was this one guy. They knew who he was and they couldn't like do anything because he hadn't actually done it yet. Isn't that ridiculous wow. that you know the guy trying to poach the snails you're taking care of? Insane. It was the craziest thing. Ever. And the only reason he wanted them was because he wanted to have them. He just wanted to have them. So he there's wanted no to be the market one person for it. Them. He just like wanted it as a collector. collector. Wanted them. So what happened? Did they, yep. did they get him? No, no. I hmm. think he's still running around not finding hmm. the snails. It's one tree in a very large space, and they're very protective of the location yeah. of it. Um, we weren't able to get any funding to support that project, even though we worked through with multiple grants trying to find money. And that's a big thing with invertebrates. They're not the sexiest animals in the world. So a lot of times they can be highly imperiled, but you can't find the resources to protect them. Wow. That that's some education right there. <laughs> Seriously, I, no yeah. idea. Like it's just it's like the first time that I've that I found out that the you know the masked angel was ten thousand dollars of fish. I'm like, <laughs> that's insane. And then you find out, mm-hmm. okay, well they're super deep and you know divers can't be down there for that long so that's why you're paying you know for the labor to bring them back up or whatever now you know i think they're being uh aquaculture at this point or you know bred in captivity uh but yeah there's just so much of that that like you don't know about and that's that's crazy like the nautilus and the, the snails um that's that's wild the butterflies that's are those are they gone or are, are they still they're still out there they're I not think extinct, the queen, are they? I don't think the Queen Alexandra are extinct, but they're pretty close to it, I believe. Um, are they I'm large? trying to think of which one. Oh, yeah. They're like this big. They're huge. Okay. There's a reason they're called bird wings. They're one of the largest species of butterfly in the world. Gotcha. So the males have incredibly vibrant coloration. The females um, are very large. Uh, and actually, the bird wing butterflies are really cool not just because of how large and pretty they are. We actually have a project. Um, so we've been working in, with Indonesia um, or in Indonesia to start a butterfly farm with the end goal of rearing uh, bird wing butterflies to try and flood the market with captive reared and bred wow, bird wings. That's cool. So, and then the end goal of the butterfly farm is, so we would raise a variety of butterflies um, to support butterfly houses and things like that. But the profits of the farm will eventually go to support ranger salaries in the adjacent um, nature preserve that has orangutans and Sumatran rhinos. So we're big believers that invertebrate uh, can be very economical. So we like to utilize profits or utilize invertebrates to help larger, more charismatic megafauna in any way we can. Gotcha. What's the average lifespan? Of one of those butterflies? That's a great question. So usually we would say two to four weeks is an average lifespan for a butterfly just because there's vastly different lifespans depending on species. Yeah. So like some butterflies, seven days once they're an adult. Some butterflies we've had, um, we've actually in our conservatory, if you come visit, you can help us track butterfly lifespan. And we found one of our butterflies had lived almost 11 months. Hmm. That's cool. And that's, that's another kind of way for people to get involved in our exhibit. So you can scan a QR code, snap photos of tagged butterflies and submit it. And our, our staff 
look through all of those and use that to track what our butterflies are doing, how long they're living. And it's a fun way to get interested in animal behavior and the collection. And it really helps our team because we don't have to do all the work of getting all those photos because the more eyes, the better. So you want us to do your job for you. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And do you want $30 million? Wow. Man. Yes. Wow. I'm already a cashier on the side. I got to check myself out at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. (sighs) So much extra work. What is this world coming to? But... It's a great opportunity to become a zookeeper and everybody wants to become a zookeeper when they're a kid. That's true. Or chase butterflies, whatever you're feeling. (laughs) See, I can see, I can see like with Koi going for, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they live for 25 to 35, 40, 50 years. Sometimes, you know, I get that. This is like, (laughs) you can have a butterfly for three months and I get that that probably the appeal is just to hang it on the wall. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Look behind me. These are all sustainably collected butterflies. Um, but that's what all the poachers say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, most of the appeal of invertebrates is, or particularly like the pin specimen, is is the long term. It's almost like an art piece. It's like, it, think of it that way. I feel like it's it's more like an art piece. Like animals being poached can be living art or just like that collector mindset. But a lot of times, like for myself, I know I like my butterfly specimens because I find them very beautiful. They're very beautiful animals. And that's weird to some people. But I I think that's why most of the poaching occurs anyway, right? You want a Bengal tiger skin because you think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing is there's some things you can do sustainably. There are some, there's some animal collection that can be sustainable. It can inject money into local economies. It can be done correctly with appropriate regulations and following appropriate protocols. You're reduce, you're limiting as much risk to the ecosystem as a whole as possible. Whereas there are certain things that that will never be able to happen. You can't sustainably collect them because their populations are too few. I think it's a good reason like to support conservation, right? Yeah. You want that thing? Well, if there's a hundred million tigers, you could finally get that tiger <laughs> rug you always wanted. Yeah. That's weird to say. I know. <laughs> it's like a weird thing to say out loud. You're um, like, I'm gonna edit that let's, out let's, later. Let's, but no. let's quote her on that. <laughs> oh my gosh. But like you said, it it makes sense. You know, you want to flood the market with whatever so it doesn't become this this big ordeal anymore uh, you, you said take away the cons- the the main driver yeah, yeah. and so yeah. you can do it more sustainably in a way that isn't having that direct impact sure i think telling people no isn't going to stop it you have to figure out what is actually the driver of these things and either try to reduce that driver or reduce the impacts of that use on the environment as a whole i would love to live in a perfect world where like conservation was at the forefront of everybody's mind all the ecosystems were happy like everything was functioning the way it should but it's not the world we live in and i think trying to be as realistic as possible is a really big way you can make a difference and also not get bogged down about the things you can't fix because that fatigue is a really big thing too of like well if everything's broken why do i have to do anything to solve it it's like well if you take off little bites here or there you do what little impact you can if we're all doing little things yeah i think we've done a pretty good job of that within our lifestyle 
right? We, we, everybody frags their corals and, and spread those yes. around so that the coral conservation side of it is, mm -hmm. is pretty big. You know, that proliferated nicely throughout this industry. Um, fish breeding. I mean, how many home hobbyists were started doing uh, or breeding clownfish? You know, I mean, that, that's Absolutely. so much of that going on. And now they're trying other fish. So I think we have a lot of it. I think, I think overall we do a pretty oh, good yeah. job of it. And obviously there's things that we need to learn and we need to do a better job of, but that's always going to be the case. Yeah. And this not, none of what I'm saying is an indictment on the hobby. Cause I'm, I actually do agree with you, Raj. I think the hobby has done a phenomenal job to try and ensure that they are doing the best they can with the resources available. And I love anytime I hear somebody trying to breed something mm -hmm. that nobody else has bred and like they're like in a, their home tank and they managed to get the first of something. I think that's, that drive to, to strive for better is what makes the aquarium hobby so great yeah. is it's, it's a huge community of people who consistently are striving for better. And um, it's a force to be reckoned with. That is in, absolutely impressive. For sure. Yeah. I, my, my two clownfish that I raised up from eggs, I saw, I caught them cleaning today and I was like, I think, is it about two years? Have I had them for about two years? They might, they might be getting to that point. Ooh. So we might, we might close the loop here. Uh, and I think a lot of people, so the first one didn't come from my, my breeding pair. It came from, um, Kathy Leahy, who is a breeder in town here. She does angel fish and all those kinds of cool fish. Um, but it came from her, uh, Ocelaris clowns that have been spawning for years. And then, uh, the second one came from mine. So they're not in the same, they're not in the same family. I know there's a lot of that going on in the clownfish <laughs> world. Okay. <laughs> uh, but if they do end up, you know, spawning and I, I just think that's so cool. That all happened in this room. You know what I mean? I know you guys are very used to that kind of thing, but for me, this is, you know, that's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, but but you know, that's that it. Starts happening it is coral. cool. But that's, it, yeah. yeah. I don't think you get, you get used to that though. I think any time that you are able to, to do something like that. Like it's, it's still that spark of, of joy when you're like, Oh my God, like I, I helped create this yeah, or I helped keep this alive. I mean, you, yeah. you shouldn't be helping create it. If it's clown. Fish, I saved but... their lives from their parents. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I intervened when mom and dad were going to kill them. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that joy, it never really goes away. And uh, that's the thing that keeps people coming back in this hobby yeah it's just that joy we need to get mark doing some spawning projects or something because uh i'll lead into this i don't know if you saw this comment uh raj but uh there's a, a guy that said or girl i don't know who this is per se uh clomp and stopper said really enjoy the conversation aspect of reef therapy but it can get a little eeyore like uh, like pining about the past, slightly negative parts of the hobby. I think it might be nice to have a loose topic to sort of flow back into something more positive, more purposeful. Uh, I suppose you did have that coral list. He's referring to the last uh, episode that we have. I do like Mark, <laughs> his insights, but he can be a bit gloomy. <laughs> and I think that he's, I think that he's pointed that out a couple of times too. He's like, I don't mean to, you know, drag on the hobby again, but um but yeah i i think there's there's things like this where you go into it and like i'm i'm 
we talked to Taras at uh, Top Shelf Aquatics. Have you have you ever met Taras, Sarah? Uh, I believe so. I haven't had an opportunity to in depth talk. Yeah, he's like a he he's their uh, phytoplankton guy, and oh, I yeah. have not seen that level of enthusiasm for something in this hobby since probably Jake, honestly. And it was so nice because I feel like there's so many doom and gloom. Uh, this is how we used to do it or, you know, kind of harping on beginners and all of this stuff. And it's like, gosh, we just need to, to promote the positivity so that we can incite some of that and, you know, inspirational stuff that gets people to, you know, I want to, I want to progress the hobby. I want to be the first at something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I that, that kind of brought that up, but hopefully <laughs> Mark's not on this podcast. So I, I mean, we're just throwing him under the bus right now, but, uh, <laughs> He's the full problem. I'll be your sunny replacement. It's fine. No big deal. Uh, anyways, uh, let's see what we got here. I'm going to go through some comments here. I would, I do want to say my my favorite invert in the saltwater hobby is the pom-pom crab. So just throwing that out there. Solid choice. Yeah. Solid yeah, yeah. Choice. And if you're going to say something like, man, pom-pom crabs are being poached for their anemones. <laughs> man. Just your heart would have broken. Oh, Yeah. Can you imagine what a story that would be? That's a finding. Stealing that's a, that's a Pixar short right there. <laughs> oh crab God, just walking is... around with his real claws. Like, like who are they? <laughs> wow. Anyways, huh. uh, NSB Reef says, I sent Raj, Raj on a goose chase. Sweet baby Jesus is brewed by Dewclaw, not Sweetwater. Sorry for the confusion. Did yep. you end up finding that, I have Raj? not because I was scouring Sweetwater. Because he said it was a Sweetwater beer. And I was like, I've, I've had every single one. I have every single one. Um, so now I have to restart. But I, I didn't find a Sweet Baby Jesus beer, regardless of brand anyway. So there's a couple of big gotcha. spots locally that I, I need to get to to find it. This thing better be good. Yeah. <laughs> if you sent me on this one, any- I'll gooch Jason. The beer sucks. It's on. Just find any beer that says Jesus in the title, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, it's an analogy for something. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, Dustin says, Remy, I put my six by three by two foot tank in my basement. We built a sled for it. We kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, with a lip on the front, we use foam under it, held it on with ratchet straps. Yes. And we also use oh. suction cups to carry it on and off the sled. We had five or six people come over to help. Now, that's a six foot tank. So that's a, that's a beast. Um, he said, I, this is the point that I wanted to, to, talk about is he said i tried to have a moving company come but they were hesitant aquarium maintenance companies wanted two thousand dollars um and i think that 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 might be like i haven't called any any moving companies because i think we can manage this but uh, i would imagine that's probably something that they run into a lot where it's like i need you to move an aquarium and they're like ah yeah yo dog you know we we only do refrigerators um (laughs) i I know here in atlanta there's one moving company that We'll take it on. They know what they're doing with the aquariums. They've done a bunch of them, so they'll do it. It's going to yeah. be spicy, but they'll do it. Um, most people that have larger tanks will either get a bunch of their buddies together or call one of the local service companies and just have them do it. Yeah. But. So I'm just going to get Yeah, a we had to hire a company when, for our Florida tank. We had to get it into the facility because it was like a 300 gallon, but it was like this weird stair step tank. So it was like possible to carry super heavy. And we had to get a company that had like the tiniest forklifts 
in the world to get around <laughs> like all of our stuff. And it was impressive watching people who move stuff all the time comparatively to like our normal efforts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can find a company, they're, they're sometimes worth their weight in gold. Yeah, I don't. I, I would imagine any LFS around here knows that company if they aren't the ones yep. that do it. Yeah. But I definitely am going to be hopping over there to grab some suction cups. I know they've got those. Rent those out for the day for sure. Um, Gun Gunpowder says, "I live in Salt. Uh, I live in Saint Cloud, Minnesota. I didn't think anybody would ever mention anything about Saint Cloud on YouTube or <laughs> social media. Glad y'all enjoy Minnesota." <laughs> Uh, we had we had talked about last time how my family would go on vacation to this place called Longville, Minnesota, and they are it's a tiny town, and it's surrounded by like Girl Lake and Boy Lake and Woman Lake, and uh, solid Le- naming, solid yeah, naming. Le- Leech Lake is like the big lake that's in that area. Um, Does it have leeches? I don't know. I would imagine like most lakes in Minnesota have leeches, right? Mm. Yeah, okay. Then that's okay. advertising correctly. Yeah, yeah. Just they're bigger because it's a bigger lake. I don't know. Uh, we were talking about how clear the water is and everything. And then there's another guy that said, yeah, if you can get around the bird-like mosquitoes in Minnesota, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Longville's known for, Sarah, Long, Longville's known for this thing called, they do turtle races. So they, they rent out turtles in the middle of this town square. And then everybody, all the kids get into the middle of the bullseye and release the turtles and whichever you know whosoever turtle goes to the end of the the bullseye first wins so uh i thought that's it's like a core memory that i that i will always remember i think i bought my first swiss army knife too i did not i did not my turtle sucked that tracks yeah Yeah. it's like a rare sarah burn (laughs) (laughs) that's right not the best part (laughs) i didn't notice (laughs) it's more of the turtle's fault but whatever Uh, you didn't give an appropriate pep talk for that turtle to feel confident in itself go to your home you want to get back into the wheelbarrow where you were (laughs) when i first got you with all the other turtles let's go Uh, Alaska Reef guy says, Raj, fellow photographer here. Sounds like you're going on some epic photo trips. Where can I see your work? Everybody wants to see Raj's stuff, but oh, what the photography stuff and your tank and everything. Okay. All right. Yeah. I need to do a better Provide. job of that. I, I post some photography on social media, a little bit of it as I go on these trips. Um, but the aquarium stuff, I need to do a better job of posting that or talking about it, getting that out there. Um, I'll, I'll work on that. It's on my list. Gotcha. It's on my list. Is it storming? It is. is. It storming Do you see where it? you are right now? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the lightning. Yeah. We've got bad thunderstorms coming through every night. Um, we, the first two days, we were totally in thunderstorms. And we had tornado warnings. It was you know, totally wiped out. And now yeah. you get the first half of the day that's clear, and then you get thunderstorms. So the south has been in the news for these massive tornadoes and storms that have been coming through. And then Sarah, you guys were just in the news because red rocks got hit with hail the other night. Did you see that? (laughs) Big hail, large hail. It's like injuries at a concert. It's weird. We've had thunderstorms every night too, which is kind of wild because we're like a high plains desert at the end of the great plains. Uh, But yeah, it's been crazy. It was thundering and storming just probably an hour before I got on. (laughs) Yeah, and we're in a drought. Look so, at that. 
my, it's crazy. my lawn is burnt up. It's, it's, uh, it's only June and it's brown. So, uh, anything else you guys want to talk about before we before we jet for the night? I don't have anything. Uh, anything you want to... we, we solved all the world's we did. problems. We did. Know. We've, we've yeah. solved poaching. We it. We've got <laughs> invert breeding. Remy's donating $30 million. Hope in the hobby. Like, yeah. we're crushing it. We're killing it. Sarah, where can where can uh, people find all the info about uh, Butterfly Pavilion? Yeah, so uh, we you can go to www.butterflies.org. Not sure how we got that wow, name. Somebody yes. was really on wow. it early on in the 1990s um, and learn about all the cool stuff we do at Butterfly Pavilion, not just butterflies. Uh, it doesn't have a backbone. We are probably doing some sort of work with it. And you can also visit a lot of zoos and aquariums. Most of their money comes from guest visitation. So if you want to be supporting these research and conservation efforts, go to your local zoo or aquarium. Uh, it's really helpful and helps them spread their message. And if you use the code RT, what up, Sarah? She'll give you a high five <laughs> whenever you're there. Absolutely. If you see me in the hallway and you you say that, I will 100% high five you. <laughs> it will be met with a, a, a 90% alcohol spray. It's <laughs> <laughs> more of a, a torture than anything Sorry. else. I can't actually touch you. You must be secure in the biology. <laughs> Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight. Raj will get back to the vacation. If you have any questions for either Sarah, for Raj, or myself, make sure to comment that in the uh, comment section below if on YouTube. If you're listening in the car, you can always reach out on social media, on Instagram, or on YouTube, or TikTok, wherever you love to social your media. Uh, remember to use the code RT10 when you grab an ICP test at icpanalysis.com. And uh, guys, enjoy. We'll see you next time. See you guys. Adios.